Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Kevin Dibley begins a new series, From Brokenness to Blessing, Into the Heart of God. The life of Abraham is a fascinating one because, as we will see, Abraham's journey was not so much a journey to the land of Canaan, but actually a journey towards heaven. His destination is not so much an earthly one, but a spiritual one. It's a journey of a fatherless and airless man into the presence and promise of God. It's a journey into the very heart of God. God takes a broken family and a broken man and shows him that he'll make him a father of many nations who reflects the very heart of God the Father himself. This is an invitation to you all to bring your brokenness and join us in our study of the life of Abraham. May the story of Abraham's journey from brokenness to blessing become the story of all who find the hope of God by faith as he did. Let's worship together to grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. So I hope you've got a sense already by the Spirit of God through the singing, the praying, the reflection on Scripture. Hope you've got a sense this morning of the devotedness of God to His people. Isn't that a just a just the theme that we've been walking through today on the friendship of the Lord. And, uh, you know, we used to sing an old song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, All Our Sins and Griefs to Bear. And, you know, one of the beauties of a real friend, you know, the Old Testament said, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And one of the beauties of biblical gospel friendship is that Christ stays with you when you're being silly. And this is Abraham again silly walking, acting out of fear, having old habits race into his life. And you know what this is like, right? You know how many Sundays you come in after having gone through the week and go, how did I fall back into that? Or you say to your family, your kids, your spouse, uh, you say, how did we get back into that, right? And the answer is that we have all kinds of fears and sins that haunt us, that plague us, that we easily cycle into. The great news is that as God's people cycle into things and weaknesses, God is not cycling. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Steady as a rock, a refuge and a foundation. And in this chapter of Genesis, we have Abraham struggling. And the reason why is that in the Bible, in the Bible, one of the main themes that the Bible wants to drill into your heart is the truth of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. A reminder to you, you are not saved by your performance, but his performance. You are not saved by your faithfulness. You're saved by His faithfulness. And we need to hear that over and over again. Martin Luther said these words, Every week I preach justification by faith to my people because every week they forget it. Isn't that true? And so here's, here's what I want you to picture. Since we're on the theme, I think, by the Holy Spirit this morning of the friendship of God, I want you to listen to Genesis 20 as I read it. And as I read it, picture this, that while Abraham and Abimelech and Sarah are going on this silly ride for a chapter, sinning, unbelief, you know, all of these things, 
God remains absolutely steadfast, committed to Abraham and Sarah. Isn't that good news? Because there's a sense in which, in the middle of this, you know, Abimelech starts to point his finger. He's got Sarah. He's pointing this way, and God shows up and puts his finger in Abraham or in Abimelech, Abimelech, which means son of the king. He is a king. Points his finger in his chest and says, "You're a dead man." And you're a dead man because you're dealing with my people. The jealous, faithful, loving protection of God. <laughs> and the way I read this, when I get to the end of Genesis chapter 20, when I get to it, it's almost like a parent looking at their child after their child's been misbehaving. And the parent looks at the child and says, Okay, you ready to go? <laughs> How many of you parents do this on Sunday morning? <laughs> when you come into worship, your, your kids are running squirrely, doing whatever they're doing, and then you finally look at them and say, you done yet? <laughs> okay, you ready to go? <laughs> and at the end of Genesis chapter 20, God's plan for Abraham doesn't shift. In fact, here's what's going on. Abraham's acting inappropriately in this text, and God points his finger in Abimelech's chest, and he says, you better go ask Abraham to pray for you or you'll die. That's powerful, isn't it? Because you could just read Genesis 20 and see Abraham acting silly. But what you need to see is God being the steady rock in his plan and purpose for Abraham. And we need to read this, and it's clear, and it's not hidden in the Bible, because we're like Martin Luther says, we forget that it's all of grace. It's all by faith. It's all of God. We keep going back to how did I get so stupid and, you know, we get all the lies that come into our heads, you know, the self-condemning lies. We, we move into self-justification. That's what we're going to talk about today. We, t we try to make ourselves feel better by making excuses and all of that. You don't need to do any of that. You have a Savior, and you can move forward. So let's just take a look at that, and I'm going to read through it, and some of this, I hope, will jump out of the page for you as I read Genesis chapter 20. So from there, it says in verse 1, Abraham journeyed toward the ter territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And so just to stop here and say, Abraham is moving south. If that, when you hear the Negev, that's wilderness going towards Egypt. And so you just got to realize that in these days there were regional kings. And so it was a very, as, as a pilgrim, it was a very vulnerable lifestyle for him to live and so he constantly lived uh, afraid of which kingdom he was moving into as he was making his way around so anyway it says in verse 2 and Abraham said of Sarah his wife she's my sister and Abimelech you see the silly walk here and Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said behold you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself, pointing to Abraham, didn't he say to him, say to me, she's my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hand, I have done the hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart. It was I who kept you from sinning against me. Isn't that a powerful line? Just so friends, just realize that when you don't see what's going on, even when you're not doing what you ought to do, isn't it good that God's hand is always on you? 
protective, preserving. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Verse 7, Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. I love this. This helps pastors. And you're a pastor thinking, how in the world am I a pastor? And you realize, well, if Abraham can pray, I can pray. <laughs> you know. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abraham, or Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to have been done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this? You can understand Abimelech, right? Why? Why would you do this to us? And Abraham said, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place and they'll kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is, this is not heroic, just so you know. <laughs> he says to Sarah, this is the kindness you must do me. And boy, what an amazing woman. <laughs> this is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech. Wow, I just, that's just stunning. Just stunning. That God, Abraham prayed to God, God healed Abimelech, and he healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So who's the main actor here? It's God, right? God is like fully engaged in all of this. And this is meant to encourage you. And it's meant to encourage you when you're silly walking. So, and it's encouraging to encourage you when you spent your week doing the self-justification for things you shouldn't be doing, things you shouldn't be thinking, behaviors that you shouldn't have been practicing. And isn't it true that we do this practice of self-justification? We all cycle through familiar sin patterns when we get anxious. And uh, you and I need to see this morning that one of the ways that's necessary to break sin patterns is to stop the practice of self-justification. It's one of the steps, right? So if, if you go to Alcoholics Anonymous and you're coming out of addiction, they'll walk you through a series of tests, but the first part of the test is to say, Hi, my name is Kevin. I am a alcoholic. And, and what you do is you take off the table all the excuses you've used to stay in your addiction. And that's really what's going on here. Abram's got to work this out. He's done it and he did it with Pharaoh. Same scenario in Genesis chapter 12. He's revisiting old habits and old sins. And there's a conversation. We, we get to see the conversation, not because God shames Abraham. He says he's a prophet. He's going to pray for you. I'm going to use him. My promise is still for him. And through him, I, my covenant is not broken. But he, he shows us Abraham's 
struggles and sins because Abraham is Kevin Dibley. Abraham is you. Abraham and Sarah are us, right? And God is the same God, the God who justifies by faith. So what this text is teaching us is what all the Bible teaches us, what the gospel declares to us is that when we have in each of us, our problem is not just our sin, our problem's what we do with our sin, right? And so when we sin, that's one thing. It's another sin to try to justify it, excuse it, rescue yourself with it. So what this text says, what the gospel says, when we have a tendency to want to justify our sinful behavior, our bad decisions, our hurtful actions, the gospel says, stop. Stop. You don't have to do this. It's been taken care of. It's been done. Isn't that good news? Because the reality is, Psalm 130, John quoted it, I think last week or the week before, and it's a regular verse I go back. Psalm 130, if the Lord should mark iniquities, who could stand? Right? All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. Listen to Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Can we amen that? Right? That's the fact. That's why you're here today. If you're here today because you got it together, you're at the wrong church. We don't have it on the sign out front, but maybe we should. Sinners welcome. Right? Because that's why we're here. Sinners are welcome because we're all sinners. But listen to this. Romans 3.24 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. And that through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation. God did it by his blood to be received, how? By faith. Justification by faith alone. That's why Martin Luther said, I preach it every week because my people forget it every week. Do you forget it every week? Or is it just your pastor? (laughs) Right? We forget it. We try to fix it. We try to excuse it. We do all these things instead of going to the Savior. So here's my exhortation. I'm going to give you a Paul Tripp quote this morning. It's a very good, I'll reiterate it at the end of the sermon. What this text is teaching you to do, this is what Paul Tripp says, you can fire your inner lawyer because you do not have to defend, excuse, or rationalize what grace has already forgiven. Is that good news? So the purpose of this text is that voice inside that tries to rationalize and justify your behavior, make excuses and diminish it to escape condemnation. You don't have to do it. You have a lawyer at the right hand of the Father, an advocate who is your righteousness. That's what this text is teaching it. So here's what I want to do. I want to just spend a few moments this morning walking through two ways that you and I can identify with both Abimelech and Abraham. The practices of self-justification. We all do these things. So here's, here's two different ways, and I'm sure there are more, but here's two different ways that you and I try to justify ourselves instead of letting God justify ourselves. The first thing we try to do is we try to argue the logic of innocence. Right? And, and you look at Abimelech and you can see his logic, right? And God even acknowledges in this text of Scripture the, um, the logic, because Abimelech, it's really shortened here, because this is like the same song, second verse, a little bit louder and a little bit worse, of Genesis 12 with Pharaoh, 
So we don't get all the details leading up to it. We get some explanation in, his, in Abraham's self-justification. But what goes on is Abraham just says to Sarah, let's do what we've done before. You say you're my sister. And then, and then we're told Abimelech takes her. And so, so then God shows up in the night, tells Abimelech, you're a dead man. And Abimelech's going, wait, 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 wait. Right? Before you kill me, hear my case. Right? So he pulls out his lawyer. And we all look at the lawyer and go, there's some legitimacy to it, and God does that too. So let's look at verse 5 when he calls the lawyer out on his behalf. He says at the end of verse 4, Lord, you won't kill what? An innocent people. What's the problem with his lawyer right now? If you're the other lawyer in the case, <laughs> yeah, you're not an innocent man because there are none that are righteous, no, not one. But in the case, you know what he's saying here. He says, you wouldn't kill an innocent man. Did he not say himself to me, she is my sister, and she herself say he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hand, I have done this. Now, to be fair, you and I need to realize that he was taking Abraham at his word. And he did not think that Sarah was his wife he thought she was his sister so God acknowledges that you can see that in verse 6 then God said to him dream yes I know that you've done this in the integrity of our heart so I like that God's just saying yeah I understand what you were doing but let, we're gonna have, to have a little talk about your innocence right because he says to him the reason why he says yes I know that you've done this in the integrity of our heart it was I who kept you from sinning against me this is really helpful for us to think through because what you and I need, I mean, we could just stop and say, for example, to Abimelech, the culture in which you have grown accustomed, since you're the big cheese in the area, you think any woman who's not somebody's woman is your woman. There's something fundamentally wrong there, isn't there? I mean, there's, there's, there's a fundamental cultural wrong about what God created man and woman, male and female, to be. And, and, that, and marriage is a picture of the gospel. Very different. You know, God has got a different picture here. So, so he's doing something. Now, in this particular case, you're right. But let me tell you this. If I wasn't restraining your evil, don't say it was Abraham and Sarah that was the problem. You have in your heart what's in Abraham and Sarah. All humanity have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and so you and I need to have a doctrine of sin that reminds us that the only reason sin is not as ugly as it is is because God is merciful to the whole world. And uh, I, you know, I shared in the first service, I had a friend, Garrett Kuzner, who worked in Bangladesh for a period of time, and he told me, Bangladesh was a country where the restraining hand of God had been removed. And he, just, he, you know, he would write when he was working there, and he said, uh, he said acid throwing in the faces of women was a national sport. It would happen almost daily there. And he was one time taking um, some uh, international political leaders to the Royal Dal Dalton factory, and he said while they were going out to the Royal Dalton factory, someone was run over, killed on the road in front of them. While they were going to the Royal Dalton factory, no one stopped. 
No one on the side of the road went and helped the person. Everybody carrying and traveling stepped over them. And, and my friend Garrett eventually sent his wife and daughter back to Canada because he said the trauma of everyday life was just brutal. Finished out his term there. He worked for the Canadian government and then he came back. And if you describe, he said, that's when the restraining hand of God. My dear friends, it may be bad in the world, but thank God he restrains evil. So listen to what um, Jonathan Edwards uh, says when he talks about the restraining hand of God. And this, we need to have this in our heads. One, it's a testimony to the grace of God, but other, it's an understanding of our own hearts apart from restraining grace so that we don't claim innocent and point everybody else as guilty. So Jonathan Edwards says, how much we are indebted to God for his restraining grace. I'll give you a little longer version of that once you get a sense of it. He says, if all natural men are God's enemies, what would they not do if they weren't restrained? And therefore, whatever wickedness we have been kept from, it's not because we haven't been bad enough to commit it. It's God has restrained us and kept us back from sin. I'm going to tell you, this is true for every one of us in this room. You've got to have this in your theology. If you think, what's the difference between you and your next-door neighbor, you and your spouse, you and your kid, you and somebody else, the difference is there but by the of God I go. If we have seen others do things that we never did, if they have done worse than we, this is owing to the restraining grace. If we have not done as bad as Pharaoh, it's owing to divine restraints. If we haven't been as bad as Judas or the scribes or the Pharisees or Herod or Simon Magus, it is because God has restrained our corruption. If we have ever heard or read of any that's done worse, if we have not gone the length in sinning that the most wicked pirates or carnal persecutors of God, this is owing to restraining grace. We are all naturally enemies of God as much as they. He goes on. Isn't that true? So that's helpful in the process of self-justification, right? Abimelech stands before God and says, I did it in the integrity of my heart and in the innocence. And God says to him, listen, if I didn't restrain you, there would, no be, there would be no discussion at this moment. You'd just be dead at this point in time. But Sarah's mine. Sarah's mine. Isn't that good news? That's hard news, but that's good news. So that's the self-justification that we go through. Let me, let me just say, I'll give you an R.C. Sproul quote. R.C. Sproul says, every Christian should have a doctrine of original sin. And the doctrine of original sin is that when Adam fell into sin, we all fell in the cesspool with him. Right? And it affected us. So this is, I'll give you part of what he says. Virtually every church historically that has a creed or confession has agreed that something very serious happened to the human race as a result of the first sin. That first sin resulted in what is called original sin. And that is, as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve, the entire human race fell. 
And our nature as human beings since the fall has been influenced by the power of evil. So David says in Psalm 51, O God, I was born in sin, and from my and I, it was sinful for, no, he said, and in sin my mother conceived me. Sproul says he wasn't saying that it was sinful for his mother to have born children. Neither was he saying that he had done something evil by being born. Rather, he was acknowledging the human condition of fallenness. That condition was part of the experience of his parents, a condition that he himself brought into the world. Therefore, original sin has to do with the fallen nature of mankind. Here's the key truth. The idea is that we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Got that? That's key. Abimelech can say he did right, but that's by the mercy of God. And we have to say the same thing. We don't, we're not sinners because we've each individually sinned. That's true. But the reality is, since Adam and Eve, we're by nature sinners. That's why we sin. And so thank God for his restraint. He takes away that argument of innocence. That's helpful. I just want you to think about that when you're arguing with somebody. <laughs> and you're saying, I'm right and you're wrong, right? And you're going, you, it's your fault, not my fault. You've got to pause a moment and you go, okay, while you're, while you're doing this, remember the old how many fingers are pointing back at Dibley, right? The reality is if you didn't do what you're doing, it's not because you're better than them. It's because of the restraining grace of God. And that's why, you know, Jesus has this teaching in the Sermon on the Mount where he, he comes along and he says to you, you know, it says in the Old Testament, you shouldn't commit adultery. Let me just tell you this. If you lust, you're dead. Right? He says, it says you shouldn't murder. So you'll say, I never murdered. I remember going into a courtroom to give testimony for a friend of mine who was charged with murder. And I remember sitting in the courtroom and I was the only one who testified on his behalf. I wasn't trying to get him. He was already found guilty. I wasn't trying to get him out. I was trying to get him help. He needed to go to a particular prison where he could get help. And so, you know, you're, when you're sitting there, you're going, okay, how does somebody commit murder? I just, I just remember sitting there, man, if I was raised where he was raised and I experienced what he was experiencing, he had multiple seizures all his life. He was abandoned as a child. He had a thousand things going on. He was on medication. If he didn't take his medication, had all these things going on. The press vilified him. I sat there and wept. And in the back of my mind thinking, I probably would have killed somebody else earlier or killed myself a long time ago. Right? And so there's that part of you. Let's just put away the innocence arguments because there was only one who was innocent, Jesus Christ. Let's go to the other justification. So there's justification of Abimelech where I, I claim my innocence and then there's the justification or self-justification of Abraham and what Abraham tries to do is justify his sinful behavior. His unbelieving, if you want to say his un, unfaithful behavior, but listen to what Abraham does. He does three, I, I calling this three rationalizations. Verse 11, 12, and 13. Verse 11, he basically does what we do, which is blame shift. Self-justification, my evil is because of someone else. So Abimelech says to Abraham, what were you thinking? What does Abraham say? I did it because I thought, right? So this is my thinking. I did it because I thought there's no fear of God in this place. And they'll kill me because of my wife. <laughs> oh man, there's a lot wrong with that, isn't there? There's a lot wrong with that. But that's his honest thinking process. 
dishonest thinking process, he thinks that he's a victim of his circumstances or he's vulnerable to his circumstances. He says, why did I do this? Because I'm in this situation that seems unjust and unfair and you're dating. the problem is with you. I'm, if you looked at the, you know, and this is what our culture's doing right now. Right now, our culture has gone rabid to track down all the systemic evils in America, Right? And I'm not saying there isn't systemic evil. There is systemic evil in America. The problem is, once you purge all the systemic evil in America, guess what you'll discover? The problem isn't in the government. The problem isn't in the institutions. The problem isn't in the Constitution. The problem isn't in the, co the construction of the Supreme Court. The problem is in the heart of humanity. If, you, if I'm here, the problem's here. And every culture has had the same problem. And until we root it out with the gospel from the human heart, my dear friends, there's no hope for America. America needs Jesus Christ. Right? Isn't that true? So that's the tendency. The tendency is self-justification. The problem is everybody else. The culture in which I live. The family in which I was raised. The history in which we belong, that we share. And there's a sense in which, of course, didn't Abimelech come and take? Didn't she, he do what he thought? Yeah, that, that is a cultural problem. That's not why you were doing this, Abraham. You were doing this because you did your math wrong. You put Abraham and Sarah plus, plus Abimelech equals death. Who did he leave out of the equation? Right. Abraham and Sarah plus Abimelech plus God equals Abimelech's dead. <laughs> right? He's got the math wrong. But isn't that we do math badly? We do it every week. We leave God out of the equation. When you take God out of the equation, we walk silly. Really silly. Self-justification number two. He goes, <laughs> and we're good at this one. He wasn't completely wrong, right? Verse, verse 12, she, she is my sister. Well, how heroic, right? Now, some of you would like to give away your sister, I'm sure, but this is not heroic, right? You're going, man, what's going on here? What he's going is, well, technically speaking, she's not, you know, my 100% sister. She's my dad's daughter, but not my mom's daughter. And if you read the murder, I think, of Haran at the end of Genesis chapter 11, which fuels his fear... If you read that, it's probably, as some scholars be, believe, this is, Sarah's could be Haran, his brother's daughter, because there's two daughters, Milka, and Milka marries his other brother, and she'll come up soon. Um, and there are many who believe that Sarah is the other daughter. I don't know whether or not that's true, but there's reasons because of the meaning of their names. It's the same princess in the culture, so it could be what's going on there. But whatever the case is, she is, is related to him and not his 100% sister. But that's, that's the problem here, right? This is arguing on technicalities. He's not exercising faith. He's not doing right. Abimelech's not about to say, oh, okay, you are telling me the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. He's going, don't, you know, if it was me, I'd be going, don't be giving me that. Right? And don't we do that with God? I didn't, you know, I didn't tell the whole truth, but it was partly true. I didn't, 
completely lie. I told some of it. What, what were we doing? We were working out the situation so that we could get what we want or we could escape what we fear. Self-justification. Stop that. Stop that. Just tell it like it is to God. And self-justification number three, this is weird, but this is what we do. We don't, sometimes we don't consciously verbalize it, but what he does is he says, um, God really isn't my friend. It's really an insult to God. Because notice what he says in verse 13, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to Sarah, this is the kindness you have to do me. I don't know, this, all of that just sounds terrible to me. At every place to which he, we come, you're to say, he's my brother. What, what's going on here? God put us in this situation. God put us in the situation so that I had to make this agreement. Sarah and I had an agreement. I'm not, Sarah's really, well, the Bible honors her for this, really, in 1 Peter 3, remarkably. Honors her for this, because she's trusting God with her husband. That's, it's just startling her faith. But what's going on here, of course, is Abraham's saying what we often do, that the reason I did this was I was in situations that left me no option, right? And James says in James chapter 1, if any of you are tempted, don't drag God into your temptation. It says, A, God can't be tempted. B, God will not tempt anyone to sin. If you're tempted to sin, it's something in you, not in God, right? Because lust is in your heart. Lust gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to what? Death. See what's going on here? So I just want to say when we come to this, it's remarkable in this passage of Scripture how gracious and loving God is in this text of Scripture because you and I are seeing ourselves in the mirror. When I was a kid, we, and most of you will not get this at all, but I just can't, you know, my parents may be watching, so I'll tell them for this. When I was a kid, we used to watch comedy shows, and there was a character named Flip Wilson. He was a comedy guy, and he would do a routine where he would get up and he would go, the devil made me do it, and everything he did wrong, the devil made me do it. And that was his argument. We do that, right? She made me do it. He made me do it. You made me do it. God made me do it. No, dear friends, this is what justification frees us to say. It's me. It begins and ends with me. My name is Kevin Dibley, and I'm a self-justifier. Can you say that this morning? Can you just say in your own heart, say your name, and admit that the tendency for all of us is to try to feel better about ourselves by blaming others, excusing sin, pointing to circumstances instead of confessing our sin confess it now let me just show you two things about real justification two things happen in this text that show us God in this the first one is God says of course he says to Abimelech you better make this right buddy right so Abimelech go to Abraham and he'll pray and there's two things that go on look at this text in scripture the first thing this helps you understand what justification ultimately is the first thing justification God's justification is is the vindication of the guilty right vindication by declaring someone innocent 
And, and the first thing that Abimelech does is he vindicates the innocence of Sarah. Right? So look at what happens in the text. It says in verse 14, um, Abimelech took sheep, oxen, male servants, female servants, gave them to Abraham, returned Sarah to him, and then he said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then he had a word with Sarah. And he said, I have given your brother... <laughs> Just so you know, he's, uh, he's sticking a finger. <laughs> I'm giving your brother. I, I would like to hear how he said it. Because he's thinking your husband. <laughs> uh, I'm giving your so-called brother here a thousand pieces of silver. And it's a sign of your innocence before, in the eyes of all who are with you, before everyone you are vindicated. Now let me just tell you what the Bible teaches. Justification is not Abimelech giving a thousand pieces of silver for us. Justification, Peter says in 1 Peter, we have been purchased not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Who will bring any charge against God's elect it's God who justifies. When Christ's blood was offered on the cross for our sins, he was vindicating our innocence. There will be no charge against anyone in Jesus Christ. Not you. You don't have to justify yourself. The enemy, Abimelech, anyone brings any charge against God's elect, God, Christ Jesus, and God says, not silver, not a thousand pieces of silver. The blood of the innocent Lamb of God has been slain. I am satisfied. It is finished. Stop it. And in the courtroom of God, the judge hammers his gavel down and says, inadmissible. And if it goes on, he says, you, I want the lawyers up here right now. And if they insist, he says, you'll meet me in the in my quarters and he'll say to me if there is one more word against Kevin Dibley's lack of faith brought up in this court I'll have you thrown out because my son has died we're not talking silver and gold we're talking the precious blood of the very son of God and he walks back into court and he picks up the gavel and he says bang innocent not guilty case Dismissed. Are you not glad for that? Stop vindicating yourself. We have a vindicator. And just so you know, not only in this text is that, what we see also in the text is Abimelech has to go to Abraham. <laughs> I love how the Lord works. Abraham. He goes to Abraham and he says, you better go to Abraham because he's a prophet. He'll pray for you. And Abraham prays. Abraham the unrighteous. Praise for Abimelech the unrighteous. And God heals Abimelech and his family and lets them live. Well, my dear friends, we not only have our vindication in the blood of Jesus Christ, but we have our lawyer at the right hand. First John says, I write these things, chapter 2, verse 1, I write these things to you so that you do not sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who has made propitiation for your sins, and not only your sins, but the sins of the whole world. Isn't that great? When you're tempted to justify yourself, stop it. He's already arguing your case. 
every day, 24-7, he ever lives to intercede for you. So you don't have to justify yourself. So what do you do when you're tempted to justify yourself? Here's my three points. Quick, call AAA. Call AAA. Number one, acknowledge that you have a problem. Don't try to dismiss it. If you're struggling, you're guilty, confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive your sins. Acknowledge you have a problem, accept the work of Jesus on your behalf. That's what you do. Forgive me, Jesus. I accept the work. Don't, you don't have to talk to anybody. Talk to Jesus. Isn't that good news? And then the third thing is abandon self-justification. Abort, abort. You can abandon self-justification in the middle of an argument with your spouse. You just all of a sudden you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, stop justifying your sin. And you go, I'm sorry, honey. I want to be right. But the reality is there's only one who's right. Jesus Christ. You sit down and you kneel by your child and you go, honey, I'm sorry that I'm making excuses for being miserable the whole week. Thank God Jesus loves dads who are miserable all week long. There's no excuse for my behavior, but there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Please forgive me. Isn't that great? That's what you do. So stop pleading your innocence and just keep pursuing Jesus. That's what we're called to do. So can I bring um, the Paul Tripp quote back up? There is the, this is my invitation today. I want a lot of firings going on here today. Would you fire your inner lawyer today? You're out of work. I just show you. He's tenacious. He'll show up for work tomorrow. <laughs> he's an obnoxious lawyer. So you're going to have to fire him again tomorrow. And if you're having trouble firing your lawyer tomorrow, call me and we can help each other fire your lawyer. Because <laughs> he's just this obnoxious self inside. There's one day when we'll get new hearts and that lawyer will not even be heard. You'll just hear the sweet songs of the nation saying, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, who has bought for himself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Isn't that good news? My dear friends, that's good news. Isn't that great? Genesis 20 is telling you there's hope in God alone. Praise God. Let's pray together. So God, as Luther said, we need to hear this every week because we forget every week that we are justified by faith alone. But help us, O oh God, to see Jesus as our all-satisfying Savior. Help us, O oh God. And I thank you, dear God, that even when we're acting silly like Abraham, your plan hasn't changed, your covenant hasn't failed, you never forget your people. So help us, dear God, because we're weak and struggling people, but you are a good and a gracious God. Help us, we pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.